Welcome back into the Conehead Sports Podcast. I'm Braden Nevius. Very happy to be joined by, I call him Uncle Vinny, but in this opening I'll refer to him as Vinny Moyulo from Vegas Stats and Information Network. Vison, how are you doing today? I am very well, Braden, and I want to say this right from the beginning. Thank you and to your colleagues for several things. A, for asking me to be on, and uh, most importantly, your, uh, your passion for all things for Big Blue Nation and SEC. So well done. I follow your work in social media and love your commitment. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, so we're going to get started here. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about what you do. Uh, you've been, well, you, how long have you lived in Las Vegas? Since 1978, full time. So what I do is help uh, create the point spreads and the odds on. Uh, all uh, college football, uh, college, uh, pro f- football, all every everything that has a point spread assigned to it. Uh, my colleagues and I are the ones who initial initiate uh, the point spreads. Uh, my background is not only in the sports wagering world, but also on table games as well. So, in Las Vegas uh, and in the gaming industry in Las Vegas since 1978. Uh, so when you do this, and mm-hmm. let's just take a typical NFL Sunday. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at, let's say, Raiders-Dolphins this weekend, mm-hmm. what do you and your colleagues look at in terms of trying to come up with a spread? Well, the first thing you want to look at is the matchup itself. So every number starts with a power rating. So every team has a numerical valuation to it. Then what you do is look at who the home team is and how far we are into the season. Obviously, there's only two games to go by. Uh, The Raiders have had some uh, uh, terrific success so far. They are the home team. Uh, Look at injuries as well. And obviously, this week with Tua Tagovailoa, you've got uh, that to take into consideration as well. So the Raiders, uh, the fact that they've probably overachieved in our minds so far. And then the Dolphins, who are really still trying to, quite frankly, in our opinion, figure out their quarterback situation, uh, we're, we're going to take that in consideration. We apply a numerical value, but we also want to find out if he is, in, in, in fact, going to play, right? Because there's a, there's a big difference. What, what, what is the depth uh, per position? Per, and you start with the quarterback position. Uh, in this case. And uh, so the fact of the matter is this home home field has an advantage. Not all home fields are created equal. Raiders have a better home field advantage than the Dolphins do in Miami. And then uh, we go from there, but we'll we'll look at the the skill position players such as quarterback, running back, wide receivers. We'll look at injuries. We'll look at both defenses. We'll look at how the team's have achieved or underachieved so far, and that's how we come up with the number. You, you've talked about your colleagues, and one of your colleagues that you work with is very well known in the sports world, Brent Musburger, mm-hmm. uh, who, who you said you've worked with in recent years. Talk about what it's like to be around him mm-hmm. often and just what you've learned from him and just being in his presence and just what you think about him as a person? Well, I'm, I'm fortunate because I have several sets of colleagues. So I have colleagues in the gaming industry uh, who, who are on the gaming side and have been in the gaming side for well over 40 years, like myself. 
Brent Musburger, on the other hand, is a legend in the broadcasting side of it. And uh, I had the opportunity to join up with him back in 2017 in the Vegas Stats and Information Network. And, I mean, let's when you think about it, here you have one of the legendary broadcasters who has called so many legendary games. Uh, the Boston College, Doug Flutie uh, uh, game. Uh, you, you've got the 1976 NBA uh, finals between the Boston Celtics and uh, the Phoenix Suns. You, you, you get countless Rose Bowls. If, if there's a sporting event that has been called since the 1960s, and the first time I, I learned about Brent Musburger was the, uh, the, the 1969 Super Bowl between the, uh, Broadway Joe Namath and uh, the New York Jets, uh, who Broadway Joe guaranteed, quote-unquote, would win the game, much less cover the 18-point spread uh, against the, the, the legendary Baltimore Colts. I was fortunate enough to be around him and co-host with him at the inaugural launch, and here we are now. Uh, four years later into the Vegas Stats and Information Network, sit beside him. So uh, consider it prepared, uh, uh, passionate uh, about sports, but also about how uh, sports wagering relates to sports, putting them all together in a regulated and uh, national environment, uh, second to none. Uh, when it comes to Brent Musburger, mm-hmm. we as a younger audience, uh, he's called a lot of UK football games, yep. like on the SEC network mm-hmm. here in recent years. And uh, so it, it, it's for me, being your nephew, it's just cool, you know, to yeah. see you and him together. It's just really cool. It's it's what's interesting, Brayden, is that don't forget his last prof- uh, college call was not a, 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 only a football game. It was a basketball game in Rupp Arena where he kind of had his send-off uh, before he joined the, uh, the Vegas Stats and Information Network. And uh, Brent always realized that from a regulatory standpoint, that people were interested in not only sports, but in the, the, the gambling aspect of it. And he was a proponent and always has been a proponent of the regulatory element to it. So the controlled, taxed, uh, uh, regulatory, with regulatory oversight and fully transparent element of it. So uh, Brent has been not only a great broadcaster, but a proponent of our industry on the gaming side to where it was fully transparent and available for folks to talk about openly, because that's what folks were really, when you think about it, when, you know, when some of the games that he called were fully determined uh, with, let's say, uh, you know, half a quarter to go, he knew that people were still tuning in because of the, uh, the game gaming aspect of it. But what better way to do it than from a regulatory and a controlled environment and he understood that and appreciated it. And that's why he's such a pioneer. And that's something ESPN over the years, I realized that they've started to bring in that aspect into their uh, broadcast. Sure. They'd be watching, I, I remember week one of the season, mm-hmm. of the college football season, I was watching the Kentucky game. 
and uh, I believe Kentucky was a 31-point favorite, and uh, Kentucky drove down the field and scored to, to, to cover. And I remember the announcers talking about what was at stake there, which is something that they probably wouldn't do 10 years ago. Well, they, they would do it, but, but they, they might do it very, uh, very casually or very, uh, you know, Brent, for years, Brent, I mean, again, one of, the, one of his uh, taglines has been my guys in the desert. Well, he would always talk about, particularly during the Rose Bowl, you know, my guys in the desert believe that such and such a team uh, was, a, you know, a, a, a favorite by at least a touchdown in this particular matchup. Well, I was one of those guys that he was talking about. His, I was one of the original guys in the desert, and I was flattered to be that. But now he can openly talk about it, and every uh, uh, network is talking about it because they realize that this is what people are interested in, and it's part of the entertainment experience. And whether, whether you're, and I'm not going to sit here and advocate that you have to bet on a game to watch a game. You don't, if you so choose. That's great. That's your choice. Stay within your means. And, and do so. Brent feels the same way. But Brent realized a long time ago that this was something that uh, people were interested in, and this is why they were interested in it. And it goes back to uh, his days at CBS uh, with Jimmy the Greek and Irv Cross and Phyllis George, where he knew that this is why, listen, when it, again, when a game is already pretty much determined, but people are still tuning in, and you can measure the uh, the viewership at that particular time. Uh, well, people were still trying to tune in to see if one of the teams was or was not going to cover the point spread or the total was going to go over or under a certain number. Transitioning a little bit here, this is mm-hmm. a Kentucky-centric podcast. Yep. You know, we talk about you know Kentucky and Louisville and everyone in the state uh, and, of course, the SEC. I want to talk about the SEC for a little bit here. Uh, starting off with this past weekend, Alabama and Florida, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's you know it, it it's become the norm to say Alabama is going to beat a team by fourteen plus no matter who the opponent is and so for them to come out on Saturday and for it to be a close game there's been I would say overreaction to Alabama's performance in terms of well, maybe they're not that good uh, what would you say is your outlook on Alabama and then the rest of the SEC West well. Uh, first, let's talk about the SEC as a whole. Okay. The SEC is, quite frankly, the, uh, you know, Major League Baseball has AAA and AA and single A as a developmental league. Uh, the NFL has the SEC. <laughs> and, and then there's the other four power conferences, uh, which are not going to be the power four conferences much longer as the SEC continues to grow. So, let, let's let's make sure we understand that the developmental element for the NFL uh, is college football, and it starts with the SEC. Uh, I wouldn't overreact uh, to to last week because, again, Alabama uh, is they're the top team in the SEC, uh, much less the country. With the SEC being the number one conference in the country, everything starts with the SEC, and it starts with Alabama as the number one team. And Alabama's going to get everybody's best effort. So the fact of the matter, let's let's not lose sight of the fact that Alabama won the game. Exactly. And they won the game on the road. Now, the, I think the overreaction, quite frankly, starts with the fact that they didn't cover the point spread. Okay. But uh, the reality is that, and some people will say, well, you guys, 
in, in Vegas in particular were wrong with that. Well, the fact of the matter is that they, 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 they bet on Alabama in that game uh, by and large. So, uh, you know, some people did wind up when it got a little bit, uh, a little bit higher and wind up betting Florida. But uh, make no mistake about it, when it comes to college football, it starts and ends, and I'm talking about ratings and rankings with the SEC and with Alabama in particular, and that's not going to change anytime soon, especially with the fact that the SEC is going to grow with two other signature programs, uh, starting with Texas and Oklahoma. Well, let's talk about Texas and Oklahoma mm-hmm. and just college football expansion uh, mm-hmm. or league expansion in general. Uh, the Big 12 announced mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago Cincinnati, UCF, right. uh, uh, BYU, and um, what's what's the fourth team? UCF. Uh, since wait, I said UCF, Cincinnati, BYU. Who's the fourth? Houston, Houston, University. Uh, Houston, yeah. That's right. Uh, are are joining the Big Twelve. Mm-hmm. So you you have Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC, and you have those four teams in the Big Twelve. Where do you see the future of college football going with these new? You're, you're not going to have a Power Five anymore. You're going to have the SEC and everybody else. Uh, you can call them what you want, uh, whether they're the the next four, the, the you got the SEC and the, uh, the Power Four, whatever the case may be. The fact of the matter is, the SEC is going to continue to grow in strength. Uh, look, just look at who they're adding, and it's no knock on on the other schools. But if you're a col- if you're a high school athlete. Where are you going to look to play to get the most exposure to give you an opportunity to go to the pros? You're going to look at the SEC first and foremost, and then you're going to go from there. So uh, uh, it's, it's going to uh, want to be the SEC and, and everybody else. Uh, again, no disrespect to those, to those other schools, but the SEC is going to be a conference of brands. You know, there are, there are brands around this country if you look at wall street there are brands in terms of stocks and stock portfolios and investments when you look at uh, sports teams there are quote-unquote brands right you look at uh, brands throughout history in baseball who's who's a great brand it's the new york yankees and the los angeles dodgers you look at uh, the nfl it's the Green Bay Packers, the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? I mean, and, and there's other teams, the Dallas Cowboys, America's team, things like that. You look at the NHL, uh, even though they haven't won a Stanley Cup in a number of years, it's still the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, so so when, when you get, uh, you know, to, to basketball, it's the, it's the Lakers so, or, and wherever else LeBron James is. But in college football, there are brands now, and – the fact that Nick Saban recently talked about Alabama being a brand, that tells you everything you need to know. The SEC and its schools are a brand, and that's where the best athletes from high school are going to look first. Uh, when you look at – I want to look at this from Kentucky's perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Obviously, in basketball, Kentucky, national brand, we know what we're going to get out of them year in and year out. When it comes to football, though – what does this expansion do for Kentucky? Well, uh, it, it's, a, it's a great question. It's an important question because for decades, when it, it, when it comes to basketball, Kentucky has been all about basketball. What's impressed me in recent years since Coach Stoops has been there is that football 
I think has become as important and probably from a monetary standpoint, maybe even more important uh, to Kentucky. And as the SEC expands to the way it is expanding, has expanded and will continue to expand, that Kentucky football, particularly with so many of the four and five star recruits staying home, that that tells me a lot that with so many uh, of the of, of the great recruits staying here in the state of Kentucky, right here in the bluegrass, and playing in Lexington, they know that they want to play with and against the best. So I think it's only going to continue to to grow uh, the uh, not only the talent pool, but the level of competition and the strength of uh, of, of Kentucky football. There's no doubt about it that. The expansion uh, of the SEC in recent years and the addition of Texas and Oklahoma is only going to make Kentucky football even stronger. Talking about Kentucky football a little bit more, uh, 3-0 to start the season, Mm -hmm. 1-0 in the SEC. I know we talked a little bit during the Missouri game, so you had an eye on that game. Uh, Looking forward to this weekend, South Carolina, Kentucky is a a five-and-a-half point favorite going in, which I know surprised you. We talked about it. Well, I personally – it it surprised me in this regard. I personally made the game a little bit lower for this reason. First of all, uh, when you look, this is their first time leaving leaving Lexington, right? I mean, so I think last week was a classic look-ahead spot, and and college teams tend to look ahead more than pro teams. Pro teams don't really look ahead. College teams do. I think, you know, uh, South Carolina, you have to remember, is sitting there and wait, lying and waiting, saying, hey, listen, we're trying to resurrect our program, and they have been trying to resurrect their program for a decade. So they're going to continue to try to do so. And by doing so, they're going to be lying in wait. So I would tend to, uh, you know, I made the game lower, but I know my some of my colleagues made the game higher. So while we, I made the game about, as you know, when we we spoke over the weekend, Braden, I made the game about two and a half or three. Well, as we know, the game is about five, five and a half. Uh, I think at some point, uh, professionals are out there waiting to say, well, if this game gets to six, I know it's going to be a take, especially with the Gamecocks at home. So first road game, first road trip. I know Coach Stoops is, is, is warning uh, the, the cats to say, look, you guys were, were looking ahead last week. Not only the players, I think quite frankly, the coaching staff was looking ahead last week. I mean, there were 33 point favorites in that game and they escaped. So here's what I'm going to measure the team about. Did they learn from last week? Let's see what they do this week because I'm already looking ahead to next week's game. I'm looking at already at game five as well to see what's the response. Well, uh, you mentioned the coaching staff looking ahead. Uh, offensive coordinator Liam Cohen actually came out and said that he admitted it. He said we were looking ahead a little bit. He said that uh, he that his game plan was not like was not up to par with what it should be. And uh, so it's nice to see the honesty out of Coach Cohen. Sure, uh, ownership. Uh, that's yes. what I see. I see him taking ownership, but also thinking ahead. That's that's part of coaching too. Hey, you have to realize, Coach, you didn't have a handle on what was going on. You might have been looking ahead too, quite frankly. Now you got to give your guys a kick in the backside to say, well, right, what's going to be our response here? Exactly. And so looking at Kentucky, not just in South Carolina, but going forward, where do you see uh, you know, some 
people have him at seven and then, you know, as low as seven or six or as high as nine or ten, where do you think Kentucky ends up when we're here in Well, I, you know, I, here, here's the thing, Brayden, and it's a fair question. It's a good question. I'm not in the prediction business. I'm in the calculation business. Um, will, will Kentucky be playing on New Year's Day? I don't think they'll be playing on New Year's Day this year, but I think what, what they're focused on is trying to play on New Year's Day in 22 and 23 and build the program in conjunction with the conference. Because when you look at it, let's face it, you've got the two, the two monsters that are there right now competing for a national championship. Let's start with Alabama and Georgia. Okay. Now you, so it starts with those two. They're going to be the ones that are not going to be playing on New Year's Day. They're going to be playing on New Year's Day for in, in a semifinal. Uh, or, or around New Year's Day for a semifinal and looking looking forward. Um, Kentucky is still in a retooling mode. I'm not going to say they're rebuilding. I think they've got some good building blocks. But as the, the conference continues to, uh, to, to build, because there's still a Power 5 situation going on this year. So uh, I think one thing you want to watch as, uh, uh, as not only a Cats fan, and I think this is what some people have to realize is this. You, if you're a Kentucky Wildcat fan, you also need to be an SEC fan. So here's what I mean by that. And there's not going to be as many opportunities right now. And I know this is going to be hard for a lot of Cats fans to, to digest. But you've got to do this. You have to root for the rest of the conference to do well in interconference games so that your rating, your strength of schedule, that your ranking stays high. Don't forget, at this time, after less than three weeks, less than a month into the college football season, the Pac-12 has been eliminated from the college football playoff. They've not been eliminated from the college football playoff this year because of Oregon in particular. Forget about everybody else. But Oregon, especially with their victory over Ohio State, they're still relevant. So there's no quote-unquote lock for two SEC teams right now to be in the Final Four. Until this playoff expands especially, you want two things as a Cats fan. You want the conference to get stronger, and it will be, particularly with the addition of Texas and Oklahoma. But you also want to make sure that even your the other teams besides Kentucky beat everybody else outside the conference to to keep keep the conference strength where it is and get it even stronger, so that when the playoff does expand to say twelve teams, that you've got not only multiple teams into it, into the playoff, but those multiple teams have a first-round bye, and then when they do play, they're a home field, and then they go to the Final Four. So I know that's a hard pill to swallow when, say, you know, as a Cats fan, that Tennessee, let's say, is playing Pitt a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> that you you might at first think, yeah, yeah, okay, you know, Pitt Panthers kicked their ass. You don't want you don't want that to happen. You want the volunteers to win that game because it's only going to 
increase the strength of the SEC. You uh, you you kind of uh, picked a bone with me there because I was doing that exact thing a couple weeks ago watching that Pitt-Tennessee game. Question, can I root for the rest of the SEC except for Tennessee? Because – No. Why not? Because <laughs> when they're playing a non-SEC team – you want to root for them. Strength of schedule. It, it's about keeping the conference. Think about this. Here's Pitt now undefeated, right? And, you know, Pitt's – I'm not saying Pitt's going to go to the to the national playoff, but what did that do for the ranking of the SEC? It brought it down as opposed to bringing it up. So as hard as it is, and this is one of the biggest challenges for SEC fans in particular, when, when you when you've got a team that you're if you're not playing them this week you got to root for them. if they're if they're playing a non-conference team that only helps the strength of the conference i would say that's something that sec fans have a little bit better of a grip on than a lot of other conferences well, yes and no. I, I you know, a, a lot. Of, there's a big difference between being a fan and uh, being a a professional better, and then being, you know, if you're going to be a fan, be an objective fan and make sure you you absolutely root for your team, for whoever they're playing, but for the rest of the conference, particularly in non-conference games. Root for them to be successful in those games, so because that only helps the strength of your conference, and it's about the conference then your team. Transitioning a little bit here to the NFL, mm-hmm. uh, going back and looking at Week Two, uh, specifically Chiefs Ravens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a big game in the AFC. First time Lamar Jackson has defeated the Kansas City Chiefs. Yep. Uh, what did that game tell you about both teams? Well, it's it's not just that game, Brayden. Here's the thing. You, you have to remember several. Here, here's the way I look at it. First of all, we're in a 17-game regular season. There are Most teams are not nearly ready to play the season. Some teams are still in, uh, I don't want to call it exhibit. They're, they're, they're quite frankly, in, in preseason mode. The fact that they've got, an extra game this year is a, it gives them a bit more leeway, but uh, it, it really didn't say Kansas City. Still, if they played tomorrow, Kansas City is still going to be a, a field goal favorite, a three and a half point favorite. That's not going to the outcome of the game the other night is not going to change the you know our our power rating a whole lot because the game was in uh, in in Baltimore. Uh, uh, it, it, it's still. I would not marry myself to anything. You're still trying to find out the identity of a lot of teams. I think there's a couple of teams that you already know are going to struggle this year. There's several teams. Uh, I think based on the first couple of games, but we knew this going in. The Jets are going to struggle because the Jets are in a complete rebuild. Uh, the uh, The Falcons are going to struggle. The The Rams didn't play anybody in the preseason at all of their regulars, yet they're 2-0. And I think that's they're the ones, but but McVeigh has done that, and that's their culture, so they get it. Uh, Steelers, 
you really kind of question, wait a second, what, who are the Steelers? I mean, look what they did in the first week, and they come from behind. They win Buffalo, beat Buffalo uh, on the road in Buffalo, and then they come home, and, and the Raiders beat them. The Raiders have been over an overachiever, let's face it. The Raiders have come back and, and done a terrific job. Uh, and don't forget, the AFC is going to have the extra home game this year with 17 games uh, o- over the uh, the NFC. So it's going to take at least September and possibly, uh, in some cases, the first week in November to really learn the true identity of these NFL teams. Who played regulars during the preseason? Who didn't? Who played some and who didn't? Uh, we know the Super Bowl champs, they're 2-0, and but both of their games were home, and they weren't against uh, the most difficult opponents. Uh, I don't think we're going to really know the, the true identity of, of Tampa Bay uh, until we get to the, to the middle of October. So still an evaluation from our side of the counter. We're not going to overreact to the results of weeks one and two. So when it comes to teams and evaluating them, I, like you said, we're early in the year, but at this point in time, which two or three teams are you guys most confident in going forward? Uh, I would say that Kansas City is still one of the top teams. Uh, Tampa, even though I, I just said what I did, uh, the fact that they're 2-0, and uh, they did bring everybody back, and they're still healthy. Uh, I think the Browns, one-on-one, I think the Browns are going to be dangerous because the Browns are going to show an ability to, to score points. Um but again, I, w- I wouldn't commit to anybody because the parity in the NFL is so strong. What I typically do is I start eliminating teams before I start saying these are the teams I think that are going to win the suit. To, to get to who you think is going to get to the playoffs, you don't start with who you think is going to make the playoffs. You think I start with who, which teams I think are going to miss the playoffs. One thing I want to add in here before we switch to our last topic here. Uh, a lot of people listening to this podcast are Bengals fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cincinnati came out week one. Yep. Looked pretty good against a, uh, uh, well, a, a struggling Vikings team. But nonetheless, they'll take a win when they can get it. Sure. And, then, and you uh, have to. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, and then came out on Sunday and mm-hmm. uh, uh, had a rough outing against the Bears. Where do you see the Bengals uh, going this season? I think season? it's a very challenging division. Let's remember, three teams from this division went to the playoffs last year. Um, the entire division is going to compete, especially with an added game to go. I don't think that the Bengals are necessarily uh, uh, ready for this year, but they continue to rebuild. I think the Browns are, are, are good. They're loaded. The fact that in this day and age of, of, of offense, they can score points. Uh, the Steelers' defense is a little bit better. If their offensive line can hold up, they should be able to run to get the ball better. Um, you know, and even though they lost last week, uh, Ravens dynamic quarterback. So I just think it's a division that's going to, you know, just continue, beat each other up. Um, I think, frankly, the AFC West could be a division that potentially could put three teams in the postseason. Um, but I, I, I think I think the Bengals are going to be extremely competitive. Uh, I think they're a team that could uh, could make it uh, very interesting. I, I still think they're at least a year away, maybe possibly two, depending on what 
you know the rest of you know these forthcoming drafts uh, look like. Uh, but they're they're a team on the rise. Um, playoffs this year. Uh, there's a reason we had them. We had the no as a favorite and not the the yes. And it's not a knock on them. They're headed in the right direction. Last year, uh, uh, the the no was a bigger favorite than it is this year. So, uh, you know, and particularly, you got to hope that they stay healthy. I know you're not in the prediction business, but just give me your favorites in the in the NFC and AFC. I won't ask for a Super Bowl prediction. Just give me your favorites. Well. It's not a matter of favorites. It's a matter of who I think you know who the who are the top rated teams, uh, and again with us it's it's just about a numerical value. And and in the AFC, uh, you've still got Kansas City because they they've got the most dynamic quarterback, and he's the he's the quintessential model for the the modern day quarterback in the NFL in Patrick Mahomes. Um, the Bills can score points. I think the rate. Uh, I think uh, the pa- the Patriots. Are uh, don't go to sleep on the Patriots. Uh, we saw them rebound last week, and albeit against the Jets, uh, they probably should have won the, the first week against the Dolphins. Uh, and you can never count out uh, Bill Belichick, right? So, um, I, I think uh, you know you, you, the, the Raiders have been a surprise. You, you keep keep your eyes on the on the Chargers too, though. With Justin Herbert, he's 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 a good up and he's he's one of the better uh, young quarterbacks. And in the NFC. Um, look, Aaron Rodgers, uh, you start with the quarterbacks and that's, who's dangerous, right? Dak Prescott uh, obviously proved to be a few rounded rebounded last week. And then, you know, that guy down in Tampa, uh, you know, Brady is, uh, he just continues to find a way to be relevant. And by the way, they're two and all already. So now they go on the road, we'll see what they, but the most important thing about the, about that team is, uh, in terms of Tampa, they brought everybody back and the fact that they brought everybody back. Uh, that tells you a lot about his leadership. That's all going to depend on health, but it starts with the quarterback. And those, you know, the teams I just mentioned are all top flight quarterbacks. One last topic I want to get into college basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's yep. no secret uh, how disappointing last season was for Kentucky. And really, when you look all around at the bl- blue blood programs, other than maybe UCLA, uh, you know, like a lot of disappointment last year. So, first of all, what do you think attributed to that in terms of the COVID season and all that? And then how do you think the Dukes and the Kentuckys bounce back this season? Well, obviously Duke's going to go through a, a, a coaching transition, right? So um, there's a couple of things. I don't want to attribute as much to the COVID situation as they do to the transfer portal. Um, it, we saw it in college football, and I think it's going to be even more – personified in, in college basketball. I mean, let's face it, there are still players that are have yet to determine where they're going to be. I mean, you've got not only fifth year, but you got some, in, case, in a lot of cases, six-year seniors. Um, and, and there's a big difference. When you're a six-year senior, you're a man. You're not a, you're not a high school. You're not just right out of high school. Um, I give uh, Coach Calipari a lot of credit. In the fact that he's he he's done a great job in, in getting a lot of young men the opportunity to get to the NBA and make a lot of money, but I also think it's a situation where you've got okay, this is now a business. I mean, let's face it. What 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 the NIL right name, image, and likeness, and what the transfer portal have created here 
is free agency in college sports. And I think you're probably going to see it more so in college basketball than in, in college football. So that said, uh, are we really going to know uh, learn as much about coaches? Well, A, who can you retain uh, from a top-flight uh, you know, experienced roster, who did you recruit, and who who transferred in? So it it right now as we sit here and, and talk uh, uh, in in late September, I still think there's so much to be determined uh, with the season about a, a about a month away that you're you're not going to know. But but look, bottom line is this. Kentucky is still going to be relevant. Yeah, forget about the record. They're going to be able to compete. The, uh, Coach Cal, I look for him to rebound, and uh, yeah, they're going to be they're going to be a factor because they're not going to be an easy out. I, I think the key for them though is, and the challenge for them is going to be, there's not a lot of returning. Uh, there's not there's not too many veterans. There's so much turnover that they're going up against teams that have. Uh, Look, if, if you're a team that has a predominant roster of, of, of freshmen and sophomores and you're going up against a team of juniors and seniors and fifth-year starters and six-year uh, uh, fifth and six-year seniors, that's, that's, that changes the dynamic quite a bit. But they're still going to be relevant. There's no question about it. You cannot uh, overlook what goes on over at Rupp Arena. I would say this Kentucky team is not your common John Calipari team because we do have quite a few uh, – now, granted, they're not from the program, but they are – But they're transfers. But they're seasoned veterans. Mm -hmm. Uh, You look at Kellen Grady from Davidson, C.J. Frederick from Iowa. um, There are more. uh, Severe Wheeler from Georgia. Just having – granted, they're not in the program, but senior leadership to come in and Davion Mintz and just helping out these young guys, do you think that helps Kentucky? If if they have the right mindset, Brayden, the key is don't forget they're coming in. They could be seniors. Are they going to be open-minded to a, a different system? It's all about being the coaches on the floor because when you're a coach, particularly in college basketball, what you're relying on is your upper, are your upperclassmen to be the coaches on the floor. You know, they don't let the guy in the suit go across the lines because if he does, he gets a technical. Yeah, technical. But you need your upperclassmen to be the leaders, to be the coaches on the floor. And so the question is, and obviously Coach Calipari believes that these are the guys that, that can do that, um, you, you're probably not going to know that until you see not just the uh, – the, the exhibition games or the early non-conference games, when they get into conference play, then then you're going to know, A, who's buying in and who's who are the ones that are carrying the message. That's going to be the key. Now, I know this is a Kentucky podcast, but I want to end with Duke. Uh, Coach K is calling it – well, actually, let, let me start with this. Uh, Roy Williams announced his retirement. Right. Uh, he will not be back this season, mm-hmm. uh, and then I'll go back to Coach K here in a second. Uh, where do you think 
North Carolina's program goes from here and you just kind of talk about Roy Williams and his career. Well, you, you can you can bring them all together. You can bring in North Carolina. You can bring in Duke. We've had probably you know, people talk about Kentucky being one and done. You, but Duke's actually had more one and dones than you know, or as many as one and dones. But people don't want to talk about it. Um, and so you, when you when you go to 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 the th- to three of of the blue bloods. UK, UNC, and Duke. It's all about. You, you got a couple of factors here. First of all, the rest of the conference has gotten good. There's terrific balance. There's great parity. Why is there great parity? The the AAU game, high school game. There's just a lot more parity and a lot more talent from around the country. The transfer portal has been a great equalizer. The extended, because of the COVID situation, the extended careers of some upperclassmen has allowed for for parity. And again, a 22-year-old marginal player, it really is is a big impact, or as big an impact sometimes as an 18-year-old four-star recruit. So. It's a, it's a whole different dynamic. Um, the fact of the matter is it changes the coaching. You, what I think one of the coaching aspects of it is you've got to, you're coaching your kids to say you can't take anything for granted. I mean, Alabama is known as a football school. By the way, they're a pretty good basketball school right now. Coming off an Elite Eight appearance. Conversely, Kentucky's always been known about basketball, but they're a terrific football school right now. So the, the balance – of power and has shifted throughout uh, uh, the athletics, and there's, there's there's no taking for granted. So look, those three are, and they're marked, so they're going to get everybody's best effort. Every coach is going to talk up their team when they come up against them, especially if it's a home game, right? Hey, you know, we got Duke tonight, we got UK tonight, we got UNC tonight. This is this is big for us. Oh, by the way, you know what they're not saying is it's a resume builder for them because they're probably gonna, you know, you know they're they're also lo- looking at it from a, a you know a paycheck standpoint. So the reality is this: again, not being in the prediction business, the the competition is better throughout, and but but that's what you want, and as a player, and as a coach, as a player, you want to play against the best you want to train with the best and compete against the best and if you're a real coach in my opinion you want to coach against the best as well you don't want every game to be a cakewalk so go out prepare uh recruit prepare and and fight the you know fight the good fight uncle Vinny, <laughs> i really appreciate it uh thank you for coming in i well you're here coming to Kentucky and then okay, coming in here. Uh, I really appreciate it, and I think the audience will appreciate it too. You keep doing what you're doing, young man, you and your colleagues, and uh, keep uh, spreading the word. Keep that passion. That's Absolutely. that's something that uh, is, a, is a great asset for sports. You know, what I do and what the players do and the coaches do is one thing. Uh, but you, you fans and those of you that cover the events – that keep it going, uh, going out there, and keep the word out there, that's key, and I respect that. 
Absolutely. Yes, sir. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. Uh, I really hope you guys enjoyed this. I enjoyed it. And uh, we'll catch you next. next well, we're going to end it on a stutter. We'll catch you next time on the Conehead Sports Podcast. Thank you. We're done.